Good morning. Today's reading will be taken from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25, and that can be found on page 965 in your church Bibles. Um, This is about the birth of Jesus Christ. So this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had, her, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. <clears throat> but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with, with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Lovely, lovely to, uh, uh, to see you all this morning. My name is Dimitri, um, and, uh, and I'm the minister of uh, uh, Christchurch Greenbank, which is uh, the sister church of St. John's, uh, just down the road. Uh, Mike um, is, uh, is preaching down at Christchurch this morning, uh, and I'm uh, with you. Um, it's fair to say he got the short straw. He's going to be preaching uh, from Revelation chapter 13 this morning and telling Christchurch what the beast and the dragon and 666 mean, so I'm looking forward to learning all of that later on. Um, and, uh, and we're looking at Matthew uh, chapter 1 this morning. I hope you've still got it open in front of you, and, uh, and we'll spend some time looking at it together. While I, fi- I tell you what, you turn there while I find the light switch. I've got it. Um, I've actually been at, at, at St. John's a couple of times uh, in the last couple of weeks, um, uh, and it's lovely to, to be here if you're at the wedding, uh, uh, Russ and Helen's wedding last week, then, uh, then um, uh, sorry, you've got me again. Uh, This week, we're looking at Matthew chapter 1 together. This week I discovered uh, that I am an assertive protagonist. I am an ENFJ hyphen, no, ENFJ hyphen A. Are there any other ENFJ hyphen A's here? Come on, be proud (laughs) Uh, I've, I've got to be honest, I'm a little bit sceptical about these things. Um, uh, it feels like every time I take the test, I come out of something else. But, but having said that, when I read about what an assertive protagonist is like, it did sound uh, rather like me. If you know more about these things, perhaps you can tell me a bit more about myself later on after the service. Uh, or maybe you just know better how you can pray for my wife and my children. Uh, does anyone else know their personality type here? Don't, don't, don't be shy. No, it's, it's a little old-fashioned. I think a few people are, a few people are being prodded, as, as if, you know. Um, uh, but here are your options uh, of uh, personality types. You can be an architect, a logician, a commander, a debater, an advocate, a mediator, a protagonist, a campaigner, a logistic... I can't say that one. A defender, an executive, a consul, a virtuoso, an adventurer an entrepreneur, an entertainer. Well, if you're interested, you can find out what you are later on. Just Google 16 personality types, and you can take the test for yourself. It's pretty interesting, 
um, and uh, a little bit revealing and, uh, and slightly embarrassing as well. But it got me thinking, taking that test earlier this week, it got me thinking, what if God took a Myers-Briggs personality test? What would he come out as? Extroverts or introverts? Intuitive or observant? Thinking or feeling? Judging or prospecting? Assertive or turbulent? Would he come out as an architect? Or a commander? Or a defender? Or an adventurer? Or an entertainer? Now, maybe you think I'm just being silly, or maybe you think I'm even being inappropriate, but, but my point is this. Even though God is perfect, and he's beyond our categories and beyond our imagination, we all still imagine what he is like, don't we? We all still have an idea in our minds. We've formed an idea in our minds of what God is like. And that idea, whatever it is, affects our relationship with him. When I uh, first arrived at Christchurch, which was seven years ago today, When I first arrived at Christchurch, one of the members of the congregation sent me a link to the 16 personality types website, and he asked me to take the test and to send him the results. I thought it was a joke. It wasn't a joke. He asked me to do it because he told me that whatever the result was, and whatever personality I had, would determine the kind of relationship that he could have with me. And it's true. Whether we realise it or not, the different personalities that people have determine the kind of relationship and the interactions that we have with them. So what about God? What is his personality type? Well, you might say, well, God is beyond our understanding. We are small, he is infinitely large, he's beyond our understanding, and that's true. But it's also true that God has revealed himself to us in the Bible so that we can know him. So what is he like? Well, that leads us to Matthew chapter 1 and verses 18 to 25, because I think this passage teaches us two things about who God is that we sometimes overlook or perhaps we forget. And that is that he is utterly, predictably unpredictable. And I think the more that we see that, the more we will love him and worship him. So let me pray for us this morning that God would help us to understand his word. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here uh, this morning. 
Uh, we pray you'd be with Mike um, down the road at Christchurch. We pray you'd be with your people all around the world this morning as we meet together in different places. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word and we thank you that you do. We thank you that you've given us your word so that we can know you. And so we pray this morning as we look at this passage from Matthew that you would open our eyes and soften our hearts to know and love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Um, John, last week were you looking at verses 1 to 17? The week before. You have looked at Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 to 17 and if you were here uh, a couple of weeks ago you'll know it was a kind of whistle-stop tour of the Old Testament from Abraham through David via the exile to Jesus. From the very beginning the Jewish nation had been promised by God that one day he would send them a saviour, his anointed one, his Messiah in the Hebrew, his Christ in the Greek. Someone who would put right everything that is wrong. Someone who would clean up the mess that we've made of our world. And for 2,000 years the Jews had been looking forward to and anticipating and waiting eagerly for the arrival of God's Christ. So how was it that it finally happened? How was it that he finally arrived? Well, Matthew tells us, verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Would anyone like to guess what is the most popular girl's name for babies in 2023? You can shout out, it's not Mary. It's a good guess. It's Olivia. Anyone had a baby called Olivia this morning? Um, Not this morning. Maybe this morning. You're you're probably not here at church. This year. Well, you're not alone if you did. Olivia is the most popular girl's name. Noah apparently is the most popular boy's name in 2023. Well, as far as I know, they didn't keep record of the most popular baby names 2,000 years ago in Palestine. But have you ever noticed how many Marys there are in the New Testament? And there are quite a few Josephs as well, aren't there? So when we read in verse 1, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. It's just about the most normal, unexceptional start you could have. Just another Mary marrying just another Joseph. But did you notice in verse 1, they weren't married yet, they were pledged to be married. Now we usually read this passage at Christmas time, and you've probably heard in a Christmas talk at some point that that pledged to be married back then was a lot more significant than our equivalent, which is sort of engagement now. And so we're told in verse 19 that Joseph is already referred to as Mary's husband. If you notice, Joseph, if he was going to call this relationship off, it would require a divorce. So their relationship was a lot more substantial than just Mary having a ring on her finger or a change of status on Joseph's Facebook page. But don't miss the point. They weren't married yet. 
They were pledged to be married, which in their culture meant most likely they were very young, maybe teenagers. And before they came together, in other words, before they'd had sex, while Mary was still a virgin, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. How did God's plan to save mankind come about? Well, this is how. Through a teenager called Mary, who was promised in marriage to a teenager called Joseph, who got pregnant without having sex through God. Well, that's a surprise. It was certainly a surprise to Joseph. In fact, it was a scandal. By the Old Testament law, pregnancy out of wedlock like this was punishable by death. And although that might no longer have been the practice at the time, it was still a devastating embarrassment and disgrace for the would-be bride and groom and their families. And yet we read in verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now I know that you and I have probably heard this story hundreds of times in nativity plates and carol services year after year after year. You've heard about how Mary and Joseph, you've heard about Mary and Joseph and how she got pregnant. So you're not surprised. No one went this morning as Andrew read the reading. But you should have done. We should have done. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob was the father of Judah, and so on and so on and so on. Through all the generations of the Israelites, all of them looking forward to and building up to this moment in history. And what happened? How did God answer all their problems and keep all his promises? How did his Christ, his anointed one, come into the world? Well, there was this kid called Mary. It's just incredible, isn't it? Utterly incredible. And utterly unpredictable. I don't know if the TV show Question of Sports still exists. Does it still exist? Is it still on? Do they still have the round What Happened Next? Used to be my favourite round. But you see, you and I and the Jews 2,000 years ago could have read Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, and then had a 100 guesses at what happened next, and we wouldn't have been anywhere near. None of our guesses would have come close. God's plan was utterly unpredictable. And for Joseph, it was utterly devastating. And so he planned to get a quiet divorce. But, verse 20, after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, in a dream, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Don't be afraid, Joseph. Don't call it off. This is God's plan. Mary's baby will be Jesus. God's son and your saviour. God is utterly, gloriously, impossibly, wonderfully unpredictable. And yet, 
All of this was predicted. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's going to be Matthew's point all through the start of his gospel. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. It says, when he, that's Herod, had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what was written, uh, what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. They knew exactly where the Christ was going to be born. Chapter 2, verse 16. When Herod realised that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted comforted because they are no more verse 22 having been warned in a dream he that's joseph withdrew to the district of galilee and he went and lived in a town called nazareth so that so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets he will be called a nazarene again and again and again In the Old Testament, God had given his people specific details about how the coming of Christ would come about. And Jesus fulfilled them all. So what are we supposed to think? Are we supposed to read this and think, well, well, Mary and Joseph should have known. They should have known what was going to happen. After all, Joseph was a descendant of David, who came from the little town of Bethlehem. And Mary was a virgin. Pledged to be married, they should have known. Well, no, I don't think we're supposed to read this and criticise Mary and Joseph or imagine that we would have known what was going to happen any more than they did. Instead, I think we're supposed to read this and to marvel at the utterly predictable unpredictability of God. I think we're supposed to read this and learn just a little bit more of his personality type and what he is like and what that means for our relationship with him. And the first thing is that it calls us, oh, no, there you go, to humble obedience we don't know a lot about joseph do we he's at the heart of the story and yet he never says a word he's on stage all the time in the nativity play and yet he doesn't have a line and yet what we see him do every step of the way is be a humble quiet godly obedient The girl he was pledged to marry was pregnant and it wasn't his baby. He and Mary had been faithful, they'd been obedient. God says that sex is for marriage and they weren't married so they hadn't had sex. And then all of a sudden, Mary was pregnant. 
And Joseph's world was turned upside down. And yet with kindness and with gentleness and clearly with a great love for Mary and for God, Joseph wrestled with what to do. He didn't react in anger towards Mary or towards God. He didn't cry out to God, why have you repaid my faithfulness with this? He wrestled with what to do and how to react. And then God spoke to him in a dream and told him the most incredible story. And what did Joseph do? Look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. I love those verses. They're so simple, aren't they? No fuss. No bother. Joseph woke up and he obeyed. He believed God's word and he obeyed God's commands. And friends, in some ways, the Christian life is as simple as that, isn't it? It's not hard to know what God wants you and me to do or how he wants us to live our lives. He told us he wants us to love him with all our heart and mind and soul and strength and to love our neighbours as ourselves. If you're married, he's told you husbands to love your wives and wives to love your husbands. If you've got children, he's told you to love your children and to bring them up as best you can to, to know the Lord. He's told us to be content. Whatever our situation, he's told us to forgive. Whatever sins are committed against us, he's told us to grow in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And he's told us when we fail to say sorry and repent and try again. It's not always easy to be a Christian, but it is simple. In this passage, Joseph is a model to us of how God calls us to live in humble obedience. But secondly, also in joyful confidence. I am a hay fever sufferer. Now, I'm not going to pretend that that's the worst thing in the world. But sometimes I sneeze myself awake in the middle of the night and I know that's it. No matter how many antihistamines I take or spray up my nose, I will be lying there awake, crying my eyes out for the rest of the night until my alarm sounds. That happened to me on Thursday night. You can tell because there's feeling. I, it happened to me on Thursday as I was writing this sermon. Anyway, I got up on Friday morning or I was, you know, the alarm went on Friday morning and, um, you know, we got the kids ready for school and <clears throat> we got them out the door and my wife, Galen, took, took them to, uh, to school. And when she got back, uh, very, very kindly and gently and without raising her voice, <laughs> she said, Dim, maybe on days like today, you should just stay in bed and let me look after the kids. And I said, well, that, that's really kind, but don't worry, I need to get up anyway. And she said, no, I, I wasn't thinking about you, I was thinking about me. 
and the kids. You see, when my kids come through to our bedroom in the morning, they don't know if they're going to get grumpy dad, who's had a bad night's sleep, or happy dad, who slept well. When they come back from school each day, they don't know if the only time they'll see me is when I stick my head out of the office to tell them to be quiet because I'm busy, or if I'll be there waiting for them at the door ready to help them with their bags and sit down and have a squash and a biscuit, because I'm not. But friends, it is never like that with our Heavenly Father. He is utterly predictable because he never changes he never gets stressed he never gets busy he never gets tired he never has a bad night's sleep because he never sleeps hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 tells us jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever Numbers 23 verse 19 tells us God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. God is utterly predictable. But just for a moment, imagine if that wasn't the case. Imagine if he were unpredictable. Well, if God was unpredictable, well then living in this world would be exhausting. And terrifying, wouldn't it? Obeying him would be a guessing game played in fear. But it's not. We can be humbly obedient and joyfully confident because God is not unpredictable. He is utterly and wonderfully Predictable. Every promise he has made, he has kept. And nowhere is that more clear than in the birth and life and death of Jesus. Mary gets pregnant. Joseph's world is turned upperly upside down. And what does Matthew say? Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's exactly what God said would happen. And it's all part of his plan. And that is wonderful news for us, friends. Because it means we can be joyfully confident. Whether you get married or not. Whether you get cancer or not. Where you live, what you do, who you meet. The challenges you face. The trials you have to endure. Friends, every single one of them is part of God's plan. He is completely in control. He knows all things. And he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. So you can have joyful confidence. Even when your world is turned upside down, you can be confident and have joy 
knowing that everything that will happen to you or is happening to you is part of your heavenly Father's plan, designed ultimately by his love. Now, of course, most of the time we don't know what those things will be until they come, but, but we can trust God and learn to trust God with joyful confidence. And there is one thing that is coming that we do know about. You see, it's impossible to read this story about the coming of Jesus and not to think about the second coming of Jesus, isn't it? Because God has already told us that one day Jesus will come again. And that day will be a complete surprise. And at the same time, it is utterly predictable. There will be no warning. And it will be exactly as... He told us it would. How do we prepare for that day? Well, by living in humble obedience and with joyful confidence and by having great expectations. See, God promised that his Christ would come. He gave prophecy after prophecy after prophecy to show them that it was planned. And yet when Jesus came, he wasn't what anyone was expecting. And so at the same time as living in joyful confidence, rejoicing to know that God is wonderfully and unchangingly and perfectly predictable, we also need to remember, friends, that he is brilliantly unpredictable. Or to borrow words from the Apostle Paul, we must never forget that God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power which is at work in us. Friends, I wonder if sometimes as evangelicals we can be so focused on knowing God and knowing his word that sometimes we shrink him down to the size of our knowledge. To a God that we can get our heads around. And we forget who he is. And we imagine that we can predict what he will do and anticipate his plans. But we cannot. Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, uh, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Friends, have we forgotten the unpredictability of God? Well, here is a test to see if we might have. Just think for a moment. What do you pray for? And how do you pray? When you pray, do you dream big and pray big and hope big? 
Do you walk into each day thinking, I know what God will do today and what he won't do? Or do you walk into each day thinking, I don't know what God will do today or what he has planned for me, but whatever it is, I'm going to walk into it with humble obedience and with joyful confidence and have great expectations. How did the birth of Jesus Christ come and back come about? Answer exactly how God said it would, exactly how he planned it would, and in a way that nobody expected. Friends, maybe we've put God in a box. Maybe we've shrunk him down and decided what he will and won't do in our lives. Or in our church. Or with our lives. And through our church. Maybe we've decided what personality type he is. So we don't expect anything more of him. In which case friends maybe we need to look at the Christmas story again without being surrounded by the carols and the tinsel and the turkey and the trimmings. To see again and see afresh, to marvel and delight and rejoice at the utterly predictable unpredictability of our God. Let me pray for us. What do you imagine God to be like? How do you imagine his personality, what he will do and won't do? Have you decided what he can and can't do through you or through St. John's? Or do you still dream big and pray big and trust him? in humble obedience and joyful confidence. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to ask for your forgiveness because we so often get get these things upside down. On, on the one hand, we, we scratch our heads and wonder and we, 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 we imagine you to be capricious and moody and unpredictable and you're not you have revealed yourself to us we can know you you've given us your word we just don't read it or remember it or treasure it in our hearts and yet you've told us who you are and who we are and what you're like and how to live Forgive us, we pray, 
when we call mystery what you have revealed and made plain. And forgive us, we pray, when we decide what you will and won't do, what you can and can't do, when we dream small because we have a small view of you, instead of remembering that you are our almighty God, who is above and beyond all we could ask or imagine. Help us, we pray, to rejoice in your utterly predictable unpredictability. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. God's plan came about in the most wonderful way. His son was born and lived and died just as he planned. And now we live our lives seeking to follow him with his help. In Romans chapter 8, we read these wonderful words. If Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Friends, as we read the story of, of Jesus and his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection, we shouldn't just grow in our love for our saviour, we should also marvel at the power that is at work in us because he has given us his spirit to help us live his way we are never alone 